The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. Well, Elon Musk is now the richest person on the planet. More than half the satellites in space are owned and controlled by one man. Well, he's a legitimate super genius. I mean, legitimate. He says he's always voted for Democrats, but this year it will be different. He'll vote Republican. There is a reason the U.S. government is so reliant on him. Elon Musk is a scam artist and he's done nothing. Anything he does is fascinating to people. Welcome to Elon Inc., Bloomberg's weekly podcast about Elon Musk. It's February 27, 2024. I'm your host, David Papadopoulos. The Boring Company is Elon's mass transit gambit. According to Musk, it's supposed to take us from New York City to Washington, D.C. in just 30 minutes with a high-speed underground transportation system. So a fast train, more or less. But a new piece from Bloomberg Businessweek tells the story of scarring chemical burns, broken promises, and little progress beyond a glorified shuttle bus system built for the Las Vegas Convention Center. We'll talk about that today, but we also have better news for Elon. The Cybertruck is good. Hannah Elliott will join us to talk about her review of Elon's hotly debated futuristic pickup. We start with Boring, though, and to do that, I am joined here in the studio by Max Chafkin, Bloomberg Businessweek reporter. Hello, Max. Hey. And we're joined by Sarah McBride, who covers startups for us here at Bloomberg, including Neuralink, Elon Musk Neuralink, and The Boring Company. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Okay, Sarah, so let's dig in. We've never on this show talked about The Boring Company. We talk about all his companies every week, all the time, but we, it's never come up yet until now. So tell our readers a little bit about what the company does and what the ultimate goal here is. Yeah, the Boring Company's under the radar compared to other Musk companies. Its goal was to connect cities using underground passages where people would travel at extremely high speeds, like riding in a train, but going at the speed of an airplane in near vacuum conditions. And over time, that goal has been scaled down. And now the project that the Boring Company is working on is in Las Vegas. And it's to take people to different points under the city of Las Vegas. And what they've done is dug a tunnel under the convention center. A lot of people would say it's really no problem to walk from one side to the other of the convention center. But it is several buildings. And so there's a tunnel that's about a mile long in each direction. And they have recently run into a lot of problems that we wouldn't know about, except there were a bunch of worker safety OSHA complaints filed, and that shed some light onto the speed at which Boring's trying to build out this system. Max, tell us a little bit about what those complaints 
So, yeah, the complaints, they span a bunch of different issues uh, related to workplace conditions underground. And by the way, we tried to get the Boring Company's perspective. They did not respond to our request for comment, but they have denied the substance of these allegations to government regulators. They basically said, you're not, you haven't proven any any of this happened. We're going to deny this all. So that's kind of where things stand. Some of them are, sound so bad, it's almost funny. So a few things, there is sort of this like toxic water that's like at the bottom of some of these tunnels and that workers have to to wade through. They're getting these uh, terrible chemical burns, according to the workers. So the main problem in tunneling, again, this is kind of a weird thing, a weird world for like one of our biggest brainiacs and, you know, most successful Mm. doers to do. But the big problem in tunneling is is muck. That's the technical term for the stuff that you're trying to move out of the tunnel to, to, you know, make room for the air. And they were just drastically overloading these bins of muck. And one of the muck bins exploded. Mm. Uh, it, it, you know, the, then you have these like two ton concrete bricks, like 15 of them flying everywhere, nearly hit an intern. Now, now we should say like, look, tunneling is a dangerous, mining is a dangerous business. Um, and, and the chemicals- and, and this is in many ways is sort of similar to mining. This is mining, in fact. And, and that's where the, a lot of the workers are coming from. I mean, it is mining. They're digging in the ground. But what I'll say is, the big promise here from from Elon Musk was not that uh, I'm going to mine. Um, it was that I'm going to come up with new and innovative ways to do mining much more efficiently, much faster, much better at a much lower cost. Like that was the original pitch. And instead, and and that's what and why this story is important is what what you actually see and what workers we spoke to are saying is that. The Boring Company is basically, in most ways, like a normal tunneling venture. It's just cutting, like, a lot of corners as they see it. And so instead of coming up with obviously innovative ways to dig tunnels, what they seem to have done, at least by some accounts, is just sort of put workers at risk and and force them to work much harder, much longer, and under these, you know, exceedingly difficult conditions that, that, frankly, I don't think many would have accepted if it weren't for the fact that they were like, oh, we're working for this, you know, Elon Musk company. You know, the same reason a lot right. of people work for him. So, Sarah, there's nothing special about the boring companies, drilling rigs, just sort of run of the mill mining rigs. In ways, they're worse than regular mining rigs because most mining rigs from big established companies have a lot of safety features built in that we heard that the boring companies rigs lack. Let me paint a picture for you of what it was like to be working in one of these tunnels. So last summer was regularly 120 degrees in Vegas. You'd think underground it would be cooler. Mm. No, it wasn't. They tried to cool it down in there. It didn't work very well. You go to your job site. You might have to wade through toxic mud and muck. Also, you'd have to duck muck that might be dropping on you from the conveyor belts running overhead. Then when you got into the tunnel, you ran the risk of heat exhaustion. In some of the tunnels, you were not allowed out. These were 12-hour shifts. They ran 24 hours. There was always somebody in the tunnel. You uh, couldn't leave to go to the bathroom. You'd have to get permission. When you did leave, then you might have other incidents in the pit outside. That's where the exploding muck bin was. There was somebody who was 
driving a forklift with faulty brakes that fell over. That person was thrown from the forklift. People were getting chemical burns. In one 30-day period, 10 to 15 people got chemical burns. That's not routine. That is really bad. That's very drastic. It is our sense that the scale of these injuries and the nature of the things that were happening there on this mining job are are worse and more and more severe and extreme than you'd see in a typical mining site. Yes, because mining is dangerous, most mining companies have a lot of protocols in place. It just seems like boring cut a lot of corners. So where on a normal mining site, a chemical burn would be an anomaly, it seemed very routine there. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, Max, I want to pivot for a second and and talk a little bit about some of those lofty promises we talked about at the beginning. When Elon was dialing up this company and this idea and he was hyping it up and and, and pulling in venture capital to help fund it, it it seemed like for a period of time, the, the boring company was dancing with mayors and governors across the country or actually apparently maybe even striking deals across the country. Yeah. Is any of that true? I think it was all true-ish. So Boring Company in a lot of ways is kind of a prototype for some of Elon Musk's, you know, more recent exploits. So just like the Twitter acquisition, you know, sort of funny tweet turns into a real thing. Boring Company is founded by Elon Musk. He's like in traffic. He he types in his. It was phone. a prelude to the Twitter X. Yeah, yeah. Side. I mean, he 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 does this like trollish tweet storm. That's like I'm going to start a tunnel company. It's gonna it's gonna be called the Boring Company, and and it's a bunch of dad jokes, and it's like hard to tell. Like, is he serious? Is he not serious? And then you have this kind of manic period where he's actually trying to make it real. And it was during that period, and I think this is part of part of why the Boring Company happened. Donald Trump was elected president. A lot of people around Trump, including Steve Bannon and and to some extent Trump himself, were saying, hey, we're going to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure. And I think what Elon Musk thought, in addition to being like annoyed that traffic was bad, was that, you know, I have this company, SpaceX. It is really good at taking existing technologies and making them more efficient and selling them to the government. I'm going to do the same do with the tunnels. Same, yeah. The government wants infrastructure. I am going to take some uh, existing technology, make it a little better, uh, you know, uh, frankly, cut some corners, cut the corners that that can be cut um, and, and make it way, way cheaper. And that just hasn't happened. Part of the problem, of course, was that Trump uh, talked a big game in a lot of areas, but didn't. there wasn't necessarily follow through. At, at the same time, Musk hmm. talked a big game. And so you had a lot of, you had a sort of series of projects. The, the most hilarious thing that happened during this time is Musk tweeted that he had verbal approval to build a tunnel, a high-speed train from D.C. to New York that was going to take 29 minutes. And then it came out like that it was just some verbal agreement hmm. from some people. The Trump administration disavowed it. And you sort of had this repeat over a series of places. So it's just been like a sort of escalating or de-escalating series of like failures to launch ending essentially in Las Vegas. Sarah, let me ask you this. What is 
our understanding of the value of Boring Company as it stands now. I know it's not the biggest of Elon's companies. I do know that a year or so ago, it had a valuation of roughly $6 billion, which by the way, just so we know what we're talking about, if you look at $6 billion companies out there right now in the market, that would be Sunoco, Lyft. Where does Boring uh, stack up right now? You know, it's really unclear. The only way to know is if they raised another funding round. I think they'd have trouble right now raising at that valuation. When employees join Boring, they aren't really told what their equity in the company is worth. Most private venture-backed companies are not very transparent about their valuation, and uh, the Boring Company is even less transparent than most. Okay, Max, let me maybe frame it to you this way. Yeah. When you're a serial entrepreneur like Elon Musk is, and you're dialing up companies left and right, and you've turned some into absolute behemoths, um, and and others, is doesn't it just stand to reason that others just, you know, are going to flop on you? I mean, you can't dial up company after company and they will all be home runs. Especially if you're running, you know, six companies at a time and, and doing 300 tweets a day. Like, it, you know, they're just not enough hours in the day. So so in that sense, yeah, that it totally makes sense. It's also like, look, you know, you can't just like think your way around everything. You know, Elon Musk has this idea that, you know, by his force of will and his personality, he's somehow going to be able to defy laws, laws of physics. But the fact is like this mining, digging tunnels requires all of these complicated issues that Elon Musk can't Elon Musk his way around. Now, the, the problem is, though, that the mythology around him demands that each one of these companies succeed. I think a lot of the employees, despite the risks, are very proud of what they've done. I think they like this goal of connecting Las Vegas underground with tunnels. They're not averse to the goal. And they're, Elon Musk has said in the past that he'd like the tunnels to one day help colonization of Mars. So there is a big, grander goal if you're looking for it. We're going to wrap it up there. It was a great piece that you can find in Bloomberg Business Week. Sarah McBride, thank you for joining us again. And as soon as you have a Neuralink update, you will holler at us. You'll be first to know. Okay, so we've got Hannah Elliott on. Hannah reviews cars for us here at Bloomberg, and she's also the co-host of a podcast all about cars called Hot Pursuit. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Thanks so much. So, Hannah, we initially talked about the Cybertruck back in December when it was launched, and I, I feel like we were simultaneously fascinated and found it a little silly. This is what our guy, Mr. Chafkin, sort of speaking for all of us, had to say about it back then. You know, if you're if you're reading Cat Turd and you're watching those SpaceX launches, you are going to buy a Cybertruck. But but the truth is that is a narrow constituency. The big constituency are these kind of sensible car buyers. And that is a group he is not speaking to right now. Now, Hannah, I don't know if you read Cat Turd or if you stare wrapped at SpaceX launches. But in your review for us, you called the Cybertruck a peon to brutalism that you absolutely loved. Explain. Yes, I would say certainly it's a polarizing looking vehicle. And I myself have been extremely skeptical of it for all of the reasons that we already know. And we've, we've been talking about it 
since 2019 or before. So it's kind of just like, oh, get it over with already. We're already done. But um, to answer your question, I have to say, I found it really refreshing in a way because everything looks the same and on the road. You know, so many new cars are ubiquitous and the amount of happy and emotional reactions that it caused from people on the street was really endearing and exciting. And I, I believe that cars should be fun and should make people happy. I think at one point you said it was like being a celebrity <laughs> being chased by the paparazzi. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, no. but you have many, many more friends now. <laughs> that's true. I, I don't know if this was a mistake or not, but at the time I thought it would be a great idea to take it to Hollywood Home Depot mm. on a Friday afternoon. I mean, this is a work truck, right? I put my dog in it. Um, and I thought I need to go get a palm tree in a pot. I'll take it to Home Depot. And I have to tell you, I kind of got run out of Home Depot by the amount of people uh, walking up, want, circling it, wanting to, you know, quote unquote, help me load up into the truck, trying to get inside. It was it was honestly a little too much. And so I I bid a hasty retreat from Home Depot. But um Pretty fun. Do you have any, I know you were mostly driving, you're driving on the roads. There have been all these videos. I'm sure you've seen some of them on TikTok. It's like, it's basically like a Cybertruck trying to climb a hill that like a Honda Odyssey could get up easily. And the Cybertruck is, you know, struggling. It's like essentially like uh, showing that this may not be a capable off-road vehicle. Or uh, Do you have any thoughts on whether that is true or, or how true that might be and how big a factor that's going to be for people who are going to buy something like this? Yes, I... I will say that I actually rented this truck from Turo, the car sharing app, and James, uh, who was the man who owned it, asked that I not take it off road. So that's that's one reason why I did not take it off road. Admittedly, the Cybertruck is extremely untested in off road or, or any sort of real actual sort of work site or farm ranch conditions. I don't for a second think that most people who buy a Cybertruck will be taking it to Moab or will be loading up logs, you know, on the ranch or hay ba bales. Mm. I, I really don't see that. You know, I don't see that with the Rivian electric truck, uh, for instance. No, I don't either. Then. So, yeah. Hannah, who is this vehicle for? This vehicle is for tech bros who love Elon. I mean, let's be honest. James, the guy who rented me one from Turo, said he has two more on order. He placed the order for this one during the unveiling in 2019. He already has orders in for two more. But I will say also, last night I was at a dinner in Beverly Hills. There was a mother who was asking me about it and wanted to know if it would fit a child seat in the back. So I was surprised because I thought this was going to be tech bro central. And it does pull in interest from moms in Beverly Hills that you know you wouldn't expect would even care about it. So there are some some um some unexpected fans, potential fans, but I think to answer your question, it's it's fans of Elon, fans of Tesla. So what what's the like when you think historically, like what's the parallel here? Is it like the hum is it the H H2 is that right? Like cuz we were talking about like what's the best case scenario for this thing and David sort of floated like I think on an earlier episode that it could be like the Hummer. It could have like a cultural moment in the same way. Eye-catching, gigantic, obnoxious, but maybe kind of cool. Yeah, I definitely think 
It'll be a collector item. I mean, the DeLorean's a collector item. Uh, the DeLorean had a short lifespan, but people still know it and love it. Uh, it's kind of like a truck version of the DeLorean, if you remember the car from Back to the Future. It was interesting uh, in your column, and everyone should read it. I thought it was terrific. We do know that Musk desperately wanted a futuristic look with this vehicle. But you say at first sight, it screamed nostalgic, not futuristic to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it looks like something from Blade Runner. It looks like the DeLorean. Stainless steel is not a new technology. No. You know, the fabrication, this is not new or revolutionary fabrication at all. It's kind of the opposite. None of, none of this is new. And the truck, you know, it's year, multiple years late. So if anything, it's actually outdated and behind and nostalgic. There's nothing actually futuristic about it. You know, Max, she did indeed have a lot of great lines in this piece. I think this might have been my favorite. She wrote, it looks like a cross between a Tonka toy and an adolescent video gamer's ultimate fantasy machine. Not necessarily amateur, but a bit ridiculous. Wow, Hannah. Like, that's that's quite a bit. Now, tell me this. Ultimately, what did you like the most and dislike the most? I have to say what I liked the most about it was how it drove. And a lot of it had to do with how surprised I was about the rear wheel steering and the ability for it to navigate small areas like parking lots. I, I threw it to the valets at Chateau Marmont for lunch just because I wanted to test it. How did they handle it? They didn't bat an eye. And that parking garage is very small and awkward. But the truck is it's very long. It's almost 19 feet long. But because of the, the rear wheel steering, it's actually the turning radius is really good and nimble. Visibility, I thought, was surprisingly um, good. And so actually the driving, you know, it, it's obviously it's fast. It's a 600 horsepower vehicle with instant torque. This, none of this is new or revolutionary again. You know, it's like other electric, big electric vehicles. But it was honestly, it was fun to drive. And from the inside, I kind of forgot how it looked on the outside. <laughs> mm. So it was fun. And I, I, you know, I didn't really worry about range. Um, I got it with about 340 miles on the battery and gave it back with about 200. So, yeah. You know. So it's supposed to get 340 miles per charge. Is that your sense after having given it a spin for 24 hours? And by the way, I did note in your piece that Renting it for 24 hours, it cost you $1,391, not cheap. But tell me about the range. Uh, did it seem like you were going to really get that those 340 miles? No, those are not real world miles. I mean, anything you do, including even raising the truck height from sort of low to a, a higher ride height, that reduces range. And your biggest dislike? To be honest... The reason why I wouldn't be able to personally buy the Cybertruck is because of Elon. And, and you know, I know in my piece, I say, we let's suspend what we really think about uh, the, the man who created the truck. But for me personally, I couldn't justify giving him my money. So, Hannah, just just following up on that, um, Taking your framing from the story, if you if you suspend disbelief about Elon or, or you know, pretend pretend like it's Elon is just a com completely normal person who doesn't tweet 300 times a day. Um, what was like your what? What's the other? You know what I hated about it? 
the shifting. And this won't be a surprise to anyone who's driven a Tesla. I hate the on-screen shifting where you use your finger to slide into drive and then slide into reverse. It's just like, give me something a little bit more tangible and engaging than moving an icon with my finger. I got to say the one thing that really jumped out at me, not just reading your piece, but listening to you again now, is it, God, I, I, it seems like the crowd around you was almost suffocating. It almost speaks to the fact that like, you've got to, God, you'd want to let these things get out in the wild more, more, more properly and let others put up with that. And then if you are so inclined to buy one and then you get one in a year or so. I definitely think that's true. And it's, uh, you know, like I say in the piece, it's not something you want to drive if you're not feeling especially friendly or talkative that day, or if you're a shy person. Just the way people reacted to it when Hannah drove it around, I that might be telling us something. Like maybe there are, maybe there are ultimately more buyers out there That's for $77,000 a pop than we think. Hannah Elliott, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, so we're going to wrap up here today with a segment we like to bring back periodically, Feud of the Week. Mr. Chafkin, you are going to tell us about our Feud of the Week. I will be honest, I know it's about pies. That is the extent of my knowledge. Do inform. Okay, we've done Elon versus Mark Cuban, Elon versus very, various He's world fighting against leaders. pies. Now it's Elon versus the owner of Giving Pies, a San Jose pie shop pies in the in the sense of like uh, apple and what's or pumpkin. his beef with the pie guy so i so the beef started on valentine's day ironically when tesla ordered a big order i think it was 2000 pies from the giving pie i i don't know 2000 2000 is a lot i think there there are mini pies oh. so but but 2000 pies it was a short notice order and and the <laughs> the owner of the giving pie said okay well we're, i'm going to uh, you know, this is a small, I looked, I went to their website. This is a small company, you know, going to bring in all five or however many employees in. Definitely, Brothers, you know, sisters. they're going to work over the weekend. And sometime in the interim, Tesla canceled the order in a, in a very ungentlemanly fashion by text. This somehow got out. And as a result, first of all, uh, a lot of people felt bad for the, the, the giving pie uh, owner. And, and I think she experienced a spike in sales, people trying to you know, make up make for up the lost orders. And even Elon Musk pie, seems yeah. to have had second thoughts. And he he tweeted that uh, he's going to make things right with with the giving pie. We don't wait know. a minute. Wait, 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 what kind of a feud is this then? Well, I, I mean, mean, he canceled the pie order. We first of all, we don't know that he canceled it. I and think then he's trying David, to make it right. David, he's, I think we know. <laughs> I think we know who canceled this pie okay. order. Okay, so he's promised to make things right. Ergo, okay, give me your pies and... Well, no, 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 he hasn't taken the pies. And that's oh. kind of one of the, the things that makes me think this feud could go on because the owner of the pie shop pointedly said that she does not know 
how he's going to make it right. She hasn't heard anything further. So we have yet to see, you know, what okay. the exact, how this all shakes out. But yes, there is a potential resolution I see. on the horizon. For me, the big couple big questions yeah, here. Hit theory. me with your best theories and how we got here. So, okay, number one question is who canceled the order? And okay, I I'm, think- I'm taking notes here. Hold as on. I said, I think all signs, everything we know about Elon Musk and Tesla and how he manages the company points to the man right. himself. And, you know, this is a big, I think it was something like $14,000 or something. Sixteen. Sixteen thousand dollars $16,000. You know, Tesla, as we know, it's, uh, as uh, Musk put it euphemistically uh, recently, between growth waves, they're really yeah, trying to rein in I costs. It, it does not, it would not surprise me, it would not shock me if Elon Musk or somebody close to him saw this $16,000 yeah. line item and said- That's a lot of pies. What the heck? Like, I, we are not spending $16,000 <laughs> on pies. Like, um, okay. uh, not only that, but the giving pie, you know, it's it 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 mostly sells to other, t it seems like it does a lot of business with other tech companies. You know, it, it might signify, you know, everything that he thinks of is wrong about mm -hmm. Silicon Valley culture, you know, plying, it's plying workers with yeah. these high-end pies. Yeah. So that's my suspicion. And then I, I think the other question, really yeah. important question, which may have been the yeah. question that Elon Musk was asking, is why did they order these pies? Like, what were the pies? Was this just like- Someone had the munchies. Now, I was talking to Dana Hull, our colleague and, and you know, uh, podcast uh, panelist, and she was saying, well, maybe it was for Pie Day, uh, which is March 14th. But that is a long, Valentine's Day is a long way from Pie Day, and that would be inconsistent with the last minute nature of this order. So maybe it was a President's Day- uh, pie yeah, thing? I, I don't know. So, so anyway, we've got, okay. So we've got a lot of questions. We've got very few answers. I'm going to guess in the pantheon of Musk feuds, man, this has got to rank low max, right? This isn't even top 100. Feuds. No, I mean, I think he really, this, this was like a real, nearly a disastrous, you know, PR thing for him. Luckily he stepped in and and, you know, vowed to make things right, because this is very messy. Was the, it going to be uh, the, you know, this could be. PR, <laughs> <laughs> you, right. know, you don't want to make an right. enemy of a, of a friendly local pie shop. I mean, that's yeah. a very, that's, you know, making enemies with Bob Iger is one thing. But like, right. you don't take people pie. like pies. I love pies. Same. Okay, Mr. Chafkin, enough of the pie talk. Let's end it there. Thanks for listening to Elon Inc. And thanks for joining me, Max. Great to be here. This episode was produced by Stacey Wong. Naomi Shaven and Rehan Harmansi are our senior editors. The idea for this very show also came from Rehan. Blake Maples handles engineering, and we get special editing assistance from Jeff Grocott. Our supervising producer is Magnus Henriksen. Huge thanks, as always, to Joel Weber. The Elon Inc. theme is written and performed by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiyura. Sage Bauman is the head of Bloomberg Podcast and our executive producer. I am David Papadopoulos. If you have a minute, rate and review our show. It'll help other listeners find us. See you next week. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.